0: Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vine Pears Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Here we are then, listener. How are we all doing today? Ready to tune into another weird and wonderful mixological tale? I sure hope so, because this one's a cracker. It's a tale of not one, but two Harrys, with one extra hardy thrown in there, for good measure. And it's a story that sees shakers buried into buildings, may or may not involve Zelda Fitzgerald, and follows a historically debated drink that employs the Daisy Template, but garners little of the love of its siblings, the Margarita, Sidecar, and even, arguably, the Cosmo. We are, of course, talking about the White Lady, as you well know, because you clicked on the episode title and all that. And this is an especially exciting episode for me, as we're joined today by the wonderful Emily Arsenault. Emily happens to be my colleague here at Vinepair, but previously spent years tending bar in multiple cities around the country before she landed at Remy Quantro, where she led a team of educators working with bartenders and consumers. That last part is particularly important for today's drink, as Cointreau's own tale is intertwined with the history of the White Lady. Don't call it a gin-sour listener, and by no means feel obliged to include an egg white. But do pull out your best bottle of London Dry, and make sure your lemon juice is every bit as fresh as the podcast known around the world it's Cocktail College. That's cool. So jokes were off the record now we're starting.
1: So that just means you can use those jokes all over. Okay, perfect.
0: <laughs> and I am going to dive in straight away here and say Emily Arsenault thank you so much for joining us and thank you for taking the long commute from your desk <laughs> here at the Vine Pair office yeah. to the Vine Pair studio.
1: Yeah, four whole floors. I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to be here.
0: And off the bat, I'm going to say, I think this episode's going to be very interesting because this is a cocktail that has a little bit of everything that we enjoy on this show. So we're talking historical debates over who, where, and what, right? Right. Then you also have a drink that's probably known by name by enthusiasts, but I don't think most people can just pull the spec like, out like that. Yeah. And then also-
1: Which is weird because that- it's the same as like- a bazillion other specs, but sure. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, you know, it,
0: it should be straightforward. Yeah. And then I
1: think finally, like maybe one or two
0: ingredients that are in there that you're like, some people like to include, others don't. So I think, yeah, like I said, this is an all-rounder.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and the, the drink of course is the white lady.
1: Yes, yes, the white lady. So this is a very meta episode for me because it's like, okay, I worked at Quantro, Remy Quantro for eight years. I was a Quantro brand ambassador for many years. I taught people all over the world about how to make simple sours with Quantro. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, left it all behind to go work at this exciting media company, uh, you know, in brand partnerships. And then within my first, like, two months, they are like, actually, we should just do what you used to do on our show now. And I'm like, wait, what? what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, so I think it's, that's a fascinating yeah. one
1: though, because this is,
0: again, like a drink that you have, Taught bartenders about, or, or, or taken around the world, explored around the world with different folks. We mentioned that maybe not everyone knows the the ingredients or the formula at the top there. So, for those that need reminding, yes. or okay. are not aware, tell us what is in a standard white lady.
1: Yeah, so it's your average. I mean, I would always teach people to if you can't remember anything, two one one, and that'll get you pretty far. Mm-hmm. Um, that goes for a white lady. So. It's going to be gin, lemon, cointreau. Mm-hmm. Um, you can maybe argue what kind of gin. I'm sure it'd be London Dry, historically. But um, what's indisputable is the cointreau, and that's why it was such a big part of the brand history, mm-hmm. and why we love to talk about it so much. Um, but if you can master something like a White Lady at two one one with um, you know a spirit cointreau and a citrus element, then now okay, now we're talking. I'm already making a sidecar. Yeah. And instead of gin, it's cognac, and instead of well, no, it's the same. And then for a margarita, okay, instead of gin, it's tequila. And instead of lemon, it's lime and voila. Mm. And you know, and then you could say maybe the Cosmo. Is, I don't want Toby to get upset, but, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe add a splash of crayon and we're playing with fire. There you go. Um, and I
0: think it is interesting too, and, and probably a tough one for you because as we mentioned off-air beforehand, we were chatting, we were being like, this is kind of tough because we have covered those classic cocktails in that formula before right like the margarita Mm -hmm. the sidecar and those other ones those ones that are better known i think it's worth pointing out too though that not just because you've formerly worked with this brand but like quantro is something that's called out historically yes and you can do those taste tests with this cocktail and with other triple sex or you know curacao that category of liqueurs Quantro is the one that works best for this.
1: Yes, and even though so much about this particular cocktail is disputed, you know, which Harry made it, who mm-hmm. was crazier, who did a better job, this and that, um, what's not disputed is that it had Quancho, even mm-hmm. in the, you know, original iteration that had all the other bizarre ingredients like brandy and <laughs> crimen <crinda laughs> So at least there was Quancho, and it's called out with a, a capital C and, you know, all these vintage cocktail books. And then, you know, we'll talk about who, who Harry, you know, which Harry wrote what and blah, blah, blah. But I mean ultimately it ended up in the Savoy cocktail book and it's, you know, one cocktail, but Quantro specifically is mentioned 47 times. So it was definitely like an ingredient of the moment and you yeah. can't really separate it from cocktail history, which I always thought was really interesting about that particular brand. Because when you're looking at like older vintage cocktail books and, you know, we had a huge collection of like about 300 something that we had digitized like a bazillion years ago. Um, and you don't see a lot of brands called out. No. You know, it's like- brandy and lemon juice. And then it's yeah. like Cointreau. It's like, wow, you guys love this stuff. I think <laughs> they started distributing it during prohibition in the US. And so I, maybe they like, maybe it was just like ultra exciting. Like. yeah. <laughs> like, well, I
0: think it's like, there, there are certain cocktails out there like that though. Like, look, the Negroni, what's the Negroni without Campari? It's, right. it's, it's not a Negroni right. or Aperol Spritz. You want to go one further, like the names in the co- Oh the, my God. The, name, Seriously. the ingredients in the name.
1: If I get one more, like, request for an up quote unquote upgrade when I'm like you know on the rooftop at Italy and you're looking around this beautiful spritzy environment and I'm like I want April spritz, and they're like oh maybe have you tried it with Grand Classico and I'm like I just sure okay I mean mm-hmm. that's not what I asked for but yeah yeah
0: <laughs> and you mentioned some of the kind of disputed origins there we we previewed the fact there's going to be a couple of Harrys involved here. So can mm. you teach us that? Teach us about that. Talk us talk us through the history of this drink and and what kind of uh, that tale might look like.
1: Yeah. So the Battle of the Harrys. Um, this kind of allegedly. And then who is it? Tim? Is it like Dave Wondrich? That's always like, okay, take you know this kind of history with a grain of salt because it's told by drunk people, right? Yep. So it's like you know. It's a reference point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a reference point, but uh, we do know that it seems to have originated in London. Um, first Harry of note, which is, I I struggle to say his name. Is it McElhoney? It's Scottish, right? McElhoney? Uh,
0: McElhoney. McElhoney? McElhone? Oh, yep. God.
1: I kissed the mic.
0: Harry McElhoney um, from, from Dundee, I believe.
1: Dundee. Okay. So, allegedly, 1919, he's in London. He's mixing this up. He gets this wacky creation with brandy creme de menthe. Oh and Quantro. Okay, we're on to something. <laughs> so he shakes it up. Um, it actually ends up being printed by what? 22? Yeah, 1922, Harry's um, ABCs of mixing, which you got to love the titles of the time. Like, yeah. you know, I think the Quantro was first mentioned in, I want to say 27 in a book called Here's How. Mm-hmm. And I love how direct that is. It's like here's how you want to know how to do it buy my book here's how <laughs> i like <laughs>
0: harry's abc as well this guy's just early influencer right yeah they're not afraid to put his name on there yep. he's a bartender but he's an author and he, it's he's this got his own his brand ABC. to keep up yes
1: um <laughs> no excellent marketing um so this drink uh quanta the way they used to say it and this i love this it's like it's always interesting that things that when you're working for a brand, like maybe what the brand underscores and and is like, okay, this is a really interesting part of our story. And there's so much here to choose from for Quancho to underscore. And they do so much. Um, they do so much interesting storytelling with it. But one of the bullet points that I always remember is that it was a favorite of the comedy duo Laurel and Hardy. Nice. And I'm like, who is that?
0: <laughs> you don't know Laurel and
1: Hardy? When I never saw flying deuces, did you? <laughs> like, <laughs> I've,
0: I've I should admit here I've never seen any yeah. And Arty, are you a, a but way know, out? I'm West aware guy? of who they right. are, <laughs> <laughs> but but so interesting to note there though that you know it looks nothing like the cocktail that we know today. But this is the one that's claimed to be the original. The right? original Harry McElhom.
1: which is so interesting because I feel like I mean, Quantro's the only part of the original ingredient that's you know called out in what we would now call a White Lady. So. I mean, when it, when I was bartending in my, you know, storied days, if I swapped out, if I just changed an ingredient, you know, the most slight change of someone's ingredient of some drink I ripped, I'd be like, this is, you know, Emily's, you know, yeah. cocktail number two. <laughs> like you know, it's totally different. Yeah. Um. But somehow this is like up for debate yeah. <laughs> that he can just like change it at some point and be like no it's the same thing it's and so better. yeah
0: that's important because McElhone then what he later changes his recipe at a similar time yes. to another harry entering so the conversation this is where
1: it gets murky allegedly he updates the recipe uh, updates come to his senses and is like i don't think this needs creme de menthe and brandy <laughs> maybe let's do gin and lemon juice now we're talking And um, around that same time, you know, you could argue Harry Craddock is working at the American bar at the Savoy. He's making these cocktails and there's a whole nother kind of like parallel story that he mixes it up for Scott Fitzgerald's wife. Um, She loves it. You know, they kind of call it what they call it. And um, and that was what mm, help me.
0: That was uh, late, late Nin- 20s, I think.
1: Late 20s. It must have been, it had to be before 1930 because the Savoy cocktail book comes out in 1930, right? right? And it's all over that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, who's to say? I don't know, but we were joking earlier. I was like, well, which Harry do we trust? And I'm like, I don't want to speak out of term, but, you know, Harry Craddock seems way more unhinged to me. I mean, it's a, he said, he said, he said, but like when I read that he was like, hiding cocktails in his mysterious shakers and burying them around the property as it was being updated. I'm like, who is this guy? (laughs) And like, what, why would he think like, Oh, this is like something really exciting I should be doing. But you got to think back then, like he's thinking this is a PRable moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you see, I mean,
0: he really, there's, there's some foresight there because I'm sure he didn't realize maybe quite how important that book would be to a future movement, but the yeah. Savoy cocktail book is one of these ones that that people love to reference and people love to to use and, and that's been ever since the turn of the millennium here, right? Yeah. In the in the craft cocktail renaissance. So I don't know. Maybe he knew he was gonna be a future cocktail influencer and luminary and there I feel go. like he
1: did, if I'm guessing. But yeah. it <laughs> but- seems
0: like he was—he certainly had that confidence, because, like you say, he was, he was burying things in walls and whatnot. But
1: mm-hmm. no, but I like thinking that this ingredient—I mean—and you know how the bar community can get really excited mm-hmm. about. A, a, an ingredient like mm-hmm. you know whatever maybe it's a new innovation product you know absolute citron in the 80s was like oh my god this is so exciting or you know maybe it's when we you know first get access to interesting digestives that we never had here before i mean shoot I, I remember chad solomon and christy pope were telling me the creme de vilette story right we were, yeah. we were talking about that that's insane they used mm-hmm. to like smuggle it in the country like not that long ago which is yeah. you know and, and that
0: was for the the aviation cocktail, yes. right? So the turn there. And, and then everyone realized that that's actually not a very good drink. Or yeah,
1: you know. <laughs> ta- ta- hey, that, my my dad says that's why they make red bicycles and they make blue bicycles. You know, like take your pick, whatever. Something for that's everybody. That's true. That's um, true.
0: I'm being slightly harsh on the yeah. aviation.
1: <laughs> um, but that being said, I, I like seeing... Cointreau kind of have this moment in the U.S. when there's this amazing cocktail scene. It's like the late 20s and early 30s, and it's kind of really getting to be known as the apex of what this particular product, an orange liqueur, could be. And it was a triple sec. Um, they actually invented the category. We can talk more about that later. But um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, oranges at the time it was a very exotic ingredient, and so I like seeing that it was you know in. 1927 mentioned in here's how like four times and then boom it's 1930 they're mentioning it 47 times like okay you guys are getting excited Mm -hmm. and then oh my gosh 1937 cafe royal cookbook cookbook yeah what do you call it cocktail book cooking for cocktails yeah um cafe royal mentions it like over 60 times so Mm -hmm. it's like wow you guys love this stuff and Mm -hmm. rightfully so it's great
0: up. And so interestingly as well, I, I think like the Home recipe does have those three ingredients, l- the later one, but I think maybe believe they were equal parts, whereas Craddock a- a- adopts the, the 2-1-1 philosophy. Right. Um, and important to note as well, yeah, this is a, this is a, a gin sour or, mm-hmm. you know, if you will, I like to think of this as a gin margarita. We can chat yeah. about that. So
1: yeah, this is a gin margarita more than it's a gin sour, like, because I get all... Get all crazy about margaritas when people talk about it. I, uh, we'll see. Yeah, mm-hmm. more on that later.
0: <laughs> but and 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 so just mentioning that though, and we will dive into the ingredients a little bit more in a short while. But the flavor profile, this being a, yeah a gin based drink, like what are you looking for when you when you receive this cocktail or when you make it or when you are kind of teaching folks in the bartending community how to approach it? Like, what are you looking for from the final profile?
1: I mean, for me, when something's this simple. I feel like anyone will tell you there's really not much to hide behind. So mm-hmm. a, the ingredients have to be excellent. I'm clearly biased about Cointreau. This is going to feel like one giant advertisement for Cointreau. Cause I'm just, I'm in love with this ingredient always will be.
0: This is organic though.
1: Yes, this is organic, but, uh, but it, it has to be that in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, There's incredible orange liqueurs out on the market, but just as a historical reference point, like to me, this one's so tied you know, to that origin that it has to be that way. So Cointreau for sure, you know, it's very, very high in essential oils, very lower, con- you know, liquor considering in sugar, um, fresh lemon juice. Um, and then I would do London dry. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, take your pick. There's so many incredible, you know, gins on the market and, I um, could name a billion, but yeah. you- use your imagination, but a solid London dry. Um, and then, you know, shake it in a good pair of tins and, that, uh, that aren't going to knock you over. I personally like the cheapy ones from like bar products this mm. is the one I was using <laughs> in like the early 2000s. So that's what I stuck with. Um, and, uh, you know, make sure it's nice and frothy. I don't do the egg white.
0: We'll get into that.
1: It's not my thing. And for this cocktail, it didn't really show up until the 40s anyway. So mm-hmm. I can argue it's not even historically accurate, but whatever.
0: I want us to do a little deep dive on, on eggs later as well. Um, just another one in terms of, as a drinker or as, as, as a, a person that crosses the door at bars, sits on this side of the bar now, rather than yes. working on the other, do you feel like this is a popular drink? Do you think it's a well-known drink? Do you think it should perhaps be better known?
1: I think it 100% should be better known. I mean, it really, um, you know, just doesn't live up to the, okay, if the margarita and the sidecar and the white lady, you know, were all in a family together, like, it, it, I just feel like the mom doesn't love it as much as the other ones, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's a great cocktail. It's a similar spec. It's a similar build. It's a similar profile. Mm-hmm. But it, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find, you know, your everyday bartender and definitely everyday consumer that knows what this is, which is crazy because, A, it's super easy to make. Yep. So you can whip them up behind the bar easy, no problem. Or you can whip them up at home, you know? Yep. And, and obviously since... Covid, we thought a lot about you know mixology at home and things like that, and this should be a pretty easy answer to that. But mm. uh, I mean, I'll try it tonight. I'm going, I'm going out tonight. I'll be like, hey, can I get a white lady? We'll yeah, see what happens. I'll keep you guys posted.
0: That's hard to do. That's a good test there. Yeah. You know, forget the daiquiri.
1: <laughs> yeah, this
0: is the acid test of a yeah. bartender right now. Oh, do yeah. you know it? Do you know how to make it? And how are you executing it? Yeah, I think another one. You know, another bow in this uh, feather in this drink's cap. There aren't that many refreshing gin cocktails out there. I know the, 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 the obvious elephant in the room, right? The G&T. And we've also covered the Gimlet on this show before. But okay. for a spirit that is so often used in other drinks, there's not that many utilizations of gin like this. Really? Not that I can think of. Right? I mean- like shaken, refreshing, classic gin cocktails.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess it gets stirred a lot i guess it's Mm -hmm. long a lot Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean it's very sessionable to your point um it's i wouldn't even really call it seasonal it seems appropriate all year long so yeah i mean it's light it's refreshing i mean if you like (laughs) a kamikaze you're gonna like a white lady and if you like a um you know again like a daiquiri you're gonna like a white lady so it, it actually really has yeah
0: whereas i feel like also just you know the the standard or the the often mistaken version of the gimlet, right? That's basically just like a gin daiquiri. Like I feel like this is a, a more complex cocktail than that. For the ingredients that we've mentioned there, you know, the Quantra, I think that brings more to the table. Yeah. This is a gin-based cocktail, though. It's gonna it's gonna you know it's gonna take the the majority of the ingredients the spec there. So you mentioned your preference for this would be a London Dry. Yes. In terms of flavor profile, what are you looking for from that gin or maybe like preferred ABV, things like that? Do you feel free to call out brands that you that you enjoy specifically for this?
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, back bar wise, um, I like to think, yeah, my home bar, A, it's very, if y'all came over, you'd be like, this is actually kind of sad for someone who allegedly knows as much as I'm supposed to. I'm a <laughs> consumer, not a collector. I stole that from Southern Teague, but I love that line. Mm-hmm. So I actually keep a very bare bones like home bar because I drink it. But um, but I always keep a bottle of um, you know like go to gin, and for me that would be like Beefeater, Tanqueray, like just something really iconic and classic London Dry. And then I always keep something like you know quote unquote you know, ultra premium, blah, blah, blah. I personally love the botanist gin. Mm -hmm. I think it mixes amazing in cocktails. So those are kind of my three go-tos. So something, you know, with detectable juniper, obviously. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: so led by juniper. Led
1: by juniper, but I don't don't think super floral um, profiles go well with, citrus in my opinion. So, um, so I think those three are a great start, but if you start getting into some of the gins that are, you know, very, very herbal and very, very like rose and lavender, let's not make it weird, you Mm -hmm. know? So, (laughs) yeah, I
0: feel like those could be very busy in this cocktail because again, we have citrus, fresh citrus, and then also we have that complex profile from the Cointreau. So yeah, maybe things are just going to, it's just going to start getting too busy.
1: It's going to get too busy. And one thing we're not really calling out that obviously we should. So I, I think the daiquiri overall flavor, yes, but it's not the best benchmark when we're talking about this because Quantro is 40% ABV. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about a much higher proof cocktail now. So the white lady might be, you know, refreshing and sessionable, like we're saying, but like, don't fall. It, you know, it's a temptress because yeah. like it, it's a lot. It's quite boozy. Yeah, you know,
0: that's a good point to make. And uh, I think I, th- I think Joaquin Simo said something very similar when we were talking about the sidecar too, which is yeah. like just because this is a shaken drink. well, I mean, we're we're, we're talking three ounces of pure alcohol yes. in this drink when we get into the into the recipe there. Yes, and then my
1: pro tip for you know all the cocktails that we're talking about in this two on one format, but it goes for the White Lady as well. I do a little bar bar spoon of like simple mm-hmm. which may be as unpopular opinion as you know whatever if you're into uh, whatever yeah um Don't. but i think it needs it for like fattiness and for body um the quantro is technically the sweetening agent but it's still so high abv you want to round it out so you just need like a boop
0: i think that's a great tip right there yeah um yeah definitely for that yeah the fact that we're using liquor not just not a liqueur, like we're using, uh, you know, liquor, whatever. That is sweet, but as the sweetening agent, it needs a little bit of a help in that respect. Yes,
1: always. What
0: about? I'm just going to throw a little curveball here. I I love your suggestion of the botanist because I think that's a a new gin, right? But it does maintain the 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 juniper while also like doing things to show us terroir. Love it. what about Plymouth for this one too? Cause that can be kind yeah. of earthy and it's maybe slightly more lemon forward than some of the other classic London dries.
1: Yeah, no, I think that would be perfectly applicable. Mm. I mean, I'm not going to call it anybody I think would be a weird choice. Yeah, I, I just think like, as long as you're, you know, if you're in the liquor store, if you're at a bar, you know, just ask for a London dry, nine times out of 10 is going to be a lovely pair for this. I will say I went to a bar recently. I can't remember where I was and I would never say anyway, mm-hmm. but I walk in and I'm looking at the gins. I'm like, huh? And and I was like, do y'all not have a, like any London dry? And they're like, nope. And they were like so pumped, not a single <laughs> London dry. And I was like, y'all, that's weird. Wow. <laughs> but-
0: I think we're I think we're starting to get there with gin, where we're seeing that like not that I not that I'm but on board with why? it. Why? Yeah, like, yeah, that's that's it makes weird. Makes no
1: sense.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this too while we're chatting about gin because gin's a category I love talking about. Yeah. Could you know just spend the whole show talking about it? I think gin is one where most consistently across the board, the quote unquote entry level bottles that are also very well known and that are iconic. Their the quality is incredible yeah as i said they they're there for, there a, for reason. a reason yeah
1: right? i mean i'm look i i worked for bigger brands and i am fully well i worked for a portfolio okay mm-hmm. and some of those brands in that portfolio were these like what people could assume were these like huge brands they you know they taste the same in every country um but you know what they've been around for over 300 years and they're totally badass at what they do for a reason. Like they know what they're doing. Yeah. That's like trying to rip on some like 300 year old burgundy and being like, I only want to drink like, you know, sparkling stuff and like kombucha. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like what? Like just cause it's like really good doesn't mean it's lame. Like it actually means it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And Uh, I think, you know,
0: like there is a reason that beef eater doesn't do a more premium beef eater. And okay, right, like Tanqueray has Tanqueray 10, which I love as a gin too, but I think standard quote-unquote Tanqueray is amazing as well. I would be happy with either of them. Whereas, say I'm drinking some American whiskey, some bourbon perhaps, I think the entry-level products are great, but often those big names that we all talk about and know about, I want to be going a little bit higher when I'm drinking those or even mixing with them.
1: Yeah, well, I mean- Yeah, I've been a a Beefeater fan for a really long time. I mean, they, as you know, they changed their proof Mm -hmm. a couple years ago. Um, I I don't know. People are goofy. I feel like they love to be like, I can detect blah, blah, blah. I'm like, y'all, you would not even know if no one showed you. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe they can. Maybe they're just super tasters and I just, you know, drink margaritas. I think
0: such a big corporation like that too. Like, I don't think this decision gets green light unless they do feel, and these guys have, these have proper tasters, you know, panels out yeah. there, right? Like, I just don't think that that thing is allowed through unless they say, no, there's not enough of a discernible difference. But
1: again, it's yeah. one of those things I mean, that we
0: like to, to discuss.
1: It. We're always looking for spicy stuff to discuss here in the bar community, you know? So I'm up for whatever, but I feel like I've never considered myself like, a super taster. I think I'm perfectly decent at it. Mm. I know how to make a good solid cocktail. You know, I've taught cocktail classes all over the world. I can hang my hat on that. But uh, you know, if someone is gonna put two different beef eaters in front of me and be like, which one's more proof? I'm like, I don't know y'all. I'm <laughs> like, huh? Like, what kind of question is that?
0: I like- think- And then especially when we're, we're, I mean, again, like gin is not something most people drink neat. So when you're adding other ingredients in there, really is it discernible? Who knows try yeah. it at home guys try it at home and and let us know maybe you do have access to to both iterations i remember toby cicchini coming on and talking about the gimlet and saying he had some old stuff so hit him up at long island bar and maybe he'll be able to taste you on the two who yeah. knows well let us know.
1: it is tuesday so i'll ask him today <laughs> uh you'll be down there
0: in the in the lombardi room
1: of course <laughs> if anyone knows
0: where they need to find you yeah. um so we done gin. I feel like we've spoken a lot about Quantro, and I've, I I feel like I am happy to say this is this is what we're going for. Um, it's it's something I've done during tastings as well for other cocktails that follow this same formula. And you look at the alternatives in the market; they're great, but Quantro does it. Just it stands out. It works. There's a reason that it's getting called yeah, out for, for years yeah. and across the board. Um. Final component of the drink here, or not perhaps, mm-hmm. oh. we'll see. But the next component is, of course, fresh lemon juice. Yes. Something we talk a lot about on this show. What's your particular approach to, to lemons, fresh lemon? Um, say as little or as much as you'd like to about that.
1: I mean, I don't know. I worked at places that are like, you know, tw- 12 hours, 24 hours, nothing longer than that, and that's the end of the story I, i'll be honest i've also worked at places where it's like we'll let this stretch for three days and it's probably fine mm-hmm. um i would say you know you need i mean obviously you should be juicing every day um and yes it should be fresh juice i people try to talk to me about the pasteurized stuff all the time and like and like people I respect too, yeah. that'll be like, no, but have you tried this one brand? Cause like you cannot tell. And I'm like, yes, you can. Like you just yeah. can, you know? And I'm like, I get it. Like fresh juice is never going to be the most consistent ingredient and nope. there's always variables to take into consideration. And like, yeah, that stinks. But, mm-hmm. um, but to me, when you try any pasteurized, no matter how, you know, modern technology it seems to be like you can. I just. It's unpleasant to me. Yeah. So yes. So fresh squeezed juice.
0: And I think the fact as well that yeah we're adding the extra booze of Cointreau in this in this two one one formula, I think you just need that freshness also like to make it all pop to keep it lively too because mm-hmm. we're we, like i said we're adding extra booze here so we need to keep this as lively as possible yeah
1: i mean obviously london dry Gin goes amazing with citrus but mm-hmm. quantro is such it has so many essential oils that um you know the molecular molecular reaction that it's having when you shake it and with the water in general but also the citrus like it's just so bright you mm-hmm. know um and i just like that it's not i don't want to say it's not Trying too hard. It's just like so comfortable and it's like Quantro skin. Mm -hmm. It's just like, look, we're here to be the best version of this one thing, which is Orange Liqueur. And we're just going to do that. We're not going to get all crazy about it. We're not going to like release all these other different products. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just like, no, we're just like orange peel people, you know? (laughs) And a lot of it. (laughs) (laughs) And okay, so I said it
0: may or may not be the final ingredient because you'll see a lot of variations of this with an egg white, right? you hinted before that maybe that's not the one for you.
1: I mean, as long as it's treated with a little citrus oil and it's not all stinky, I mean, it's fine. It's a very pleasing texture. I personally just, I, I feel like I'm not like a silky cocktail kind of person. I'm like a fresh shaken, like brighter kind mm-hmm. of cocktail person. I just don't like egg white in general. I don't see anything wrong with using it. Mm-hmm. It's just not my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't, put it in plus it can be a pain <laughs> when and, you're making them yeah <laughs> if
0: someone was ordering this from you and you were working behind the bar is that a question you would ask would you say would you like if someone's calling out the white lady would you ask them would you like that with
1: egg if white if someone's or not? calling out a white lady i'm like where do you work <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah that's a good point
1: yeah and then they'll be like okay i'm here, and i'll be like all right do you want egg white or not mm-hmm. so because i do think it's a preference yeah mm-hmm.
0: I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a second here because I very much am like you. There's not many drinks that I think are improved with egg white. If I get one that has egg white, great. And if it's executed well, I love it. I'm not really using it at home. I did see somewhere about this though, and I think this is a good argument. This cocktail looks more white If you're using an egg white, right, then it's not, it's not a white, it's kind of a strange color for a drink that's named the white lady. And we spoke about why it might be called that or not, right? But like the drink that's made with egg white maybe looks more like the cocktail that's named the white lady than the one without.
1: Well, if it allegedly is named after some blonde lady's hair, you (laughs) know, I mean we don't know how platinum her hair was, you know, <laughs> maybe she had bad toner mm-hmm. or maybe she didn't tone her hair at all, you know, so. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Like,
0: but it's it's it maybe, or, or maybe what I'm saying there is, it's, it's, it's a slightly cleaner presentation, right? It's not quite as like opaque. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think you can Google them or you can make them at home and you can say, yeah, maybe that one made with the egg white is, looks slightly better in photos, but. We're drinking this ultimately. Yeah, but I, yeah.
1: I think it's totally a personal preference. I don't hate on either one. Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't do the the egg white just because mm-hmm.
0: I'm That's your it's not my thing. Fair but enough. What about garnish for this one?
1: Uh I would just do like a little lemon disc mm-hmm. twist where uh, everyone do it, but just like a little lemon peel. Especially obviously if you're using the egg white, you gotta be like Ch-ch. Yeah. That was me expressing oils all over the top. Yeah, so
0: all over the table here.
1: Yeah, they're everywhere, these oils. Um <laughs> and uh <laughs> and just so it doesn't, you know stank.
0: Mm -hmm. And what do you do? Do you have any tips for garnishing cocktails? I feel like this, say, for example, I always feel a little bit awkward garnishing a sour or like a daiquiri or a daisy with the twist in there. Are we, are we placing it maybe on the rim and allowing fate to take its toll or whatever? (laughs) Like, are you just, are you just like, you're throwing it in there, you're doing a little disc? What's your, what's your approach to that? I
1: mean, to me, a little cute little disc mm-hmm. floating around. There's nothing wrong with that, mm-hmm. especially if it has a little cushy egg white bed to sleep on. Mm-hmm. You know, that could be fine. Uh, and I'm never mad at an express and discard situation. So yep. it's like it was never there. Yeah. Fine with me. I mean, garnish wise. I, so I came up bartending. I started I, I got my first bartending job when I was I'll be honest. Well, I'm not going to say cause maybe it's illegal, but so let's say 18. Um, we, but we don't
0: need to say where that was. In yeah, some countries that is legal. Yes.
1: I was in, well, I was in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, <laughs> and I was, um, I got a promotion from being a cocktail waitress. And it was like the most exciting thing. And I worked at like the coolest bar in downtown. It was so awesome. Um, and it was like a college spot. And so I did that for a long time. And then I didn't, and then we, I moved to Portland, Oregon. Um, where like everyone's like born knowing how to make an old fashioned. And I was like, what are y'all talking about? And I worked at pubs and I worked at you know places um, where I started learning a bit more. Um, and then I ended up at a place called Spirit of Seventy Seven, and they kind of I mean it's a sports venue, but they have a cocktail background, so that's where I started learning about cocktails. And then um, and then I got really into it when I moved to Dallas, Texas. But the the style of bartending I was doing was pretty like early not early on like I don't know how many waves it had been after that um but like you know I never did tiki I never did stuff that had crazy garnishes I never you know so my stuff is like it's simple like yeah. I like a good you know solid build balanced with like the, a simple garnish as possible just like super clean looking mm-hmm. um so I think when I did my master classes in Asia for example everyone was always like really just dis- not always like disappointed but I'd be like hey, here I am, American bartender, here to show you a thing or two about American bartending. And like over there at the time, it was like, you know, really stylistic, beautiful cocktails, like almost like narrative just to look at them. And mine looked like, I'm like, there you have it, a white lady <laughs> with a lemon disc. <laughs> and they were like, what? <laughs>
0: like- it's a great point though. I, I- those are the drinks I like to to make, but yeah. also consume. And yeah. like you said, if, it, if it's got no business being there, what's, yeah, the, point? what's why, the point, why waste yeah. the time, why waste the, the resources? I
1: mean, I get now, obviously things, you know, when I first started bartending, you know, Instagram didn't exist, you <laughs> know? So, um, so it is a bit strange now that that is such a huge something you have to take into consideration Mm -hmm. when you're creating a menu like are these beautiful to look at is this something is this an angle i want to approach is this Mm. you know do i do i want to be really simple and stoic and you know embrace stoicism or do i want to have something that people are going to tag us in and post you know and that's i do not hate on that that's a super important consideration you have to take you know Mm -hmm. um and i think also
0: another aspect of this too that we haven't often discussed on this show but is like cocktail competitions
1: yeah oh well yeah I I could speak all day about that so
0: I I mean I don't want to take us too far off but all I will say is this I feel like it's a very brave contestant that goes in there and goes with a minimal garnish or even an express and discard like again it depends on what the competition is but I feel like there must be that urge to I need to go above and beyond otherwise this is not going to win
1: well so funny you should say that because i used to run this competition um with remy martin um called it was the u.s version of the bartender talent academy and it was literally the hardest brief ever because the brief was like how can you remake a sidecar how, how can and then, stop period duh. yeah like like how what's your interpretation of this like super iconic simple cocktail and it at least has to be the recognizable or like you know the the um what am I try to say the muse and we did have a guy devin kennedy i mean unbelievable i mean unbelievable mixologist and person uh but one year he won the whole country and literally he didn't express and discard yeah like it was literally just in a coupe like a stirred cocktail it was so new york city and so and it, it was just it was amazing amazing yeah
0: well that's a that's a lovely little segue there too because i want to talk about glassware now yes Are you going martini glass here, coupe, Hmm. or otherwise?
1: So I defer to a coupe Mm -hmm. for something like this. Um, It depends on where you work or where, you know, where you're entertaining. But I don't know if you remember those, like, Libby used to make these, like, super clunky ones that, like, they weren't the most beautiful, but they just, like, wouldn't break and so like i feel like for some of these like high volume places that are like i'm trying to do the right thing i want to have this in a nice coupe Mm -hmm. like that's what i started serving these kinds of cocktails in like in like 2000 whatever um but you know of course like a beautiful nicanora or some kind of nice Mm -hmm. coupe would would be lovely yeah Yeah.
0: but just any one of those and, and sounds like you're steering clear of the classic old martini glass there
1: i mean i keep like classic martinis martini glasses in my freezer but to if someone if someone gave that to me, I'd be like, "All right, mm-hmm. whatever, I don't care." Um, personally, I just think it's more fun to drink a super dirty martini out of those glasses. You know, <laughs> like I don't want my dirty martini in a coupe; I want it in a giant no. V-shaped glass with like blue cheese olives. So I kind of leave that for that, but but yeah. I wouldn't hate on it if anyone gave me that. But yes, a very and then everything and in a Nick and Nora. You're like, "Oh my God, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen." Mm-hmm. You know, so <laughs> still charms me every time.
0: And so how about now, why don't you talk us through making this? I'm not gonna say that producer Keith and I are disappointed here that you're not actually making them because you oh. have all the <laughs> you have all the tools here in the in the Vinepair office. Sorry, that's unfair we can, of me to call can, you that. Yeah, we can do this <laughs> after. Yeah, we'll do we'll do that after, but can you talk us and the listeners through this drink making it step by step? Yes. Um yeah, and just calling out ratios there or quantities and also yeah the ingredients that you would reach for i'm gonna yeah i may actually ask you to settle upon a gin for this one yeah no
1: problem um uh, so let's see um i would start you know you've got your mixing tins if you're um, a bartender that's never made this before or if you're someone at home that wants to make something tonight um, honestly you're very capable i say go for it if you've got the basic equipment you're good so mixing tins for sure i always work from the short side that's how i was taught i don't work over ice some people do i don't it dilutes too fast um to me so and then you always start with your uh quote unquote cheapest ingredient Eh, you know we'll see about that um but uh so usually you start with your um uh what am i trying to say your citrus and your sugars so i would do a little little bar spoon maybe like a thin Quarter of an ounce of simple syrup, one to one. And then I would do uh, one ounce. I like my drinks fat. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm I, anytime I tell people my specs, they're like, oh my God, that. Maybe it's cultural. Maybe like I'm from the South. I don't know what it is, but so I do a big old one ounce of, of um, fresh lemon juice. You can get the little squeezers. You can keep at home. They're super easy. Uh, if you've got a double mesh strainer, good for you. Double strain it, but guess what? You'll be fine if you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I would do an ounce of that. I would do an ounce of quantro. Um, That's the premium orange liqueur we've been talking about this whole time. Um, <laughs> but remember it is 40 ABV, so it's not messing around. It'll bite you um and then i would do an ounce of that i would do two ounces of a london dry gin of your choice personally i think you can't go wrong with beefeater tank botanist those are all three amazing options but there's as you know so many incredible options out there but those are three that pop into my mind immediately um so two ounces of that i would then add ice i would uh pop the bigger side of my smaller tin over bigger tin over the smaller tin Flip it. I'm really trying to give you a visual here. It's it's going well, uh, but
0: <laughs> you're making up for these lack of drinks here in the studio.
1: Basically, you need to flip it because, like, if you're shaking, a you should never shake at a guest. It's just weird and aggressive. <laughs> but also, it could explode all over them. Um, so usually, I would shake to the side. And in the event that you didn't seal your tin correctly and it busts open you want it to go on you and not on the person you're making it for or whatever. (laughs) So common sense people. Um, So I would shake it up. I don't know, maybe until when the tin starts to get like really cold and your fingers are like, ow, ow, you know, that's when it's time to crack them. Strain it with, um, strain it with a strainer over uh, in a chilled coop if you have it. If it's a regular coop, you'll be fine. It's still going to be delicious. Um, Some people double strain these kinds of things. I don't really mind the ice chips personally, but again, up to you. And, um, yeah, then I would do a little express and I would discard a little lemon disc.
0: Mm-hmm. So. There we go.
1: That And that's how you have and it. Enjoy. Yeah. And Don't then you just that. mind eraser it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and you gently and delicately enjoy it. <laughs>
0: enjoy it. Sounds wonderful. Um, any final thoughts here on the, on the white lady before we head into the second part of our show today?
1: No, I mean, I feel like it's really simple and I just, I, I would like to see it embraced, you know, more as a at home drinking, um, uh, option. Um, I think it's super easy to execute and I think it would be someone that it shows that you made a little extra care. Like if you're entertaining, like it is still a handcrafted cocktail, but It does feel um, different than some of you know Mm -hmm. the other ones that we're used to shaking up, but um, but yeah, and it would be kind of cool to be able to go to a bar and Mm -hmm. be like, you know, that's not like a cocktail bar, but just a normal bar that you go and be like, hey, can I get a margarita? And they're like, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it would be cool to be able to be like, hey, can I get a white lady? And they're like, hell yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
0: On that front too, I've never come across it before, but I'm starting to think about you know we've had frozen margs. What about the frozen white lady? I feel like this might be a good candidate for that. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's got decent sugar content because Mm -hmm. of the liqueur. Um, It would freeze well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they've got those crazy frozen machines at, um, what's Toby have? Oh, the Spaceman Mm -hmm. that make like, I think they're actually frozen yogurt machines, but they have the craziest texture. It's like super velvety frozen texture. Oh, yes. That would be an excellent white lady. And then we could make it all. I'm always thinking of like, how can I make something really nice, like kind of, you know, trash as well. And so, so if I was running that menu, I'd be like, frozen white lady, come and get them $2 extra. You can have an extra shot of Cointreau on yeah. top, you know, like <laughs> a, a float. There. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: Reminds me of the, uh, the margarita that I had at Olive Garden in Times Square and they do an amaretto float.
1: Yeah. That's I love, I love a float. <laughs> you know, that bar, um, what am I trying to say? Oh, in mm. Rockaway beach, right? Like the pub, but they're famous for their frozen pina colada and i've never once seen someone not get the sailor jerry float like Mm -hmm. it's just they're like want to float and you're like hell yeah i do yeah like every time
0: (laughs) also dutch kills does one too i'm forgetting which frozen drink it is now but you can pay like again it's like two bucks extra and yeah you can get a float of 151 proof rum yeah on top and I, was, like, what, I was teasing it's in, not what trash world, in what world practical. am I not doing that
1: yeah 100% <laughs> agree
0: always go with the overproof shot and the float um <laughs> Emily Arsenal, heading into the second part of the the show here where our listeners get to know you a little bit more as a bartender and as a drinker
1: oh oh boy how you feeling? I feel great. Ready to go. <laughs> Ready to show my true self. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll start with question number one then. And that is what style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar?
1: Well, like I said earlier, I stole Southern's quote saying I'm a consumer, not a collector. I, um, I'm i Southern. You know, drinking is a huge ritual in my culture as far as like gathering and togetherness. So you know, happy hour has always been kind of like a family thing. And, um, and I've always enjoyed a good cocktail. So I don't, I keep a pretty curated back bar. Also, I live in New York city. So it's like, there's only so much space. <laughs> so when I see these people that have these like unbelievable bars and I'm, you know, and I'm sure like Pam Wisnitzer is listening or, or something, or I hope she is. And she's thinking, well, you know, I have my bar. You can't, you can't get a bar going. I'm like, oh, I don't know. She's just more organized than me. I think, I like, think. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she's got a beautiful back bar and I see some, you know, people on Instagram that have these beautiful back bars. I'm like, I don't know. I just, I can't, it's would take up like my entire living room. So, um, so yeah, I keep a nice little Ikea cabinet stocked, um, with my favorite things. I would probably say gin. Yeah. Yeah. I keep, um, uh, I keep a lot of gin. I keep a decent amount of agave. I'm a big rum drinker and I love cognac. Mm
0: -hmm. So nice, nice. But I'm going to, if when we're filing down the answers for this one, then I'm putting gin in that column for you. Is that correct? Yes. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Question number two, what ingredient or tool do you think is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal?
1: Hmm. I think people, when, maybe when they're first starting out, it's, you know, it's really important to get tools because especially like if you're traveling and you're bartending or if you're, you know, you know, working at an, um, uh, an event or an office or something, like it's really important that you have your own tools, but they don't necessarily need to be fancy. Like for me, I think I mentioned earlier tins. I, I never really worked well with like beautiful weighted tins. Like I always, for me, the weight in my hands, when I'm shaking, especially like a double shake. I need the like cheapo, like nineties tins. <laughs> and so like, <laughs> that's for me what I use, but Underutilized. I mean, I guess their tins aren't underutilized, but
0: no. But uh, how about yeah? A, a lighter, cheaper tin is undervalued.
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't need to be anything crazy. Mm-hmm. I could have been worse. I could have been like, honestly, your personality is your most important tool <laughs> in your arsenal, <laughs> 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 and get a good peeler that won't cut the tip of your finger off. <laughs> wise yeah. words. <laughs> yeah,
0: very wise. All of the above, really. <laughs> question three here what's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry
1: um to can i curse yes okay to not shit talk other brands it will do you no good <laughs> like um a you don't know the craftsmanship that goes behind said brand you don't know the people that go behind said brand mm. you don't know if you're gonna be working there one day yep. like just keep your mouth shut if you don't mm. have anything if if you don't have something nice to say about, I, I mean, if someone needs to be called out for bad behavior, that's a different story, yeah. sure. um But like, you know, people like to have a lot of opinions about brands, and I just think it's a little weird to speak mm-hmm. poorly of, you know, someone's mm-hmm. business.
0: I think that's applicable across the board too when it comes to maybe like other bars or Absolutely. also like a consideration where. You know, we've spoken about this before too, where that that progression for a lot of bartenders here might be starting out behind the bar and working as a brand ambassador one day and doing all of those different roles. You know, like, you never know what the future holds, like you say.
1: Yeah, I mean, and look, it's a super small community on every side of it. On, you know, the um, industry-adjacent, you know, actual F&B, suppliers, media, it's very small, so there's really... it's not a good idea to be a big old Mm -hmm. jerk Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) nice wise words there yeah (laughs) penultimate question if you could only visit one long island bar bar. (laughs) (laughs) this is true you're a fan of long island bar (laughs) oh it's easy yeah
1: but i guess you can finish your question
0: the, the listeners know the question, so don't worry about that one. But
1: tell us about your relationship,
0: or tell us about your journey with Long Island Bar. And what makes it such a special place for yourself? When was your first visit there, or what's your most memorable visit there mean Because I know this is a favorite of yours, and yeah. yeah, this is the bar of friend of the show, Toby Cicchini.
1: Yeah, to me, it's just to me, it's just a perfect bar. Like it's just a great environment, and amazing people run it, mm-hmm. and they make you feel so welcome, and everything is so buttoned up and well executed, but it doesn't feel, um, it just feels effortless, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's just somewhere where you want to hang out and I love hanging out. So, (laughs) um, so it's just a great vibe. It's, um, you know, they've got their goofy, no dancing neon, they've got, you know, really warm wonderful bartenders and then bartenders that act like they're not but secretly they are so you're like no you're great Mm -hmm. like this is just all great (laughs) you know (laughs) um and then of course the proprietors are wonderful toby and joel toby who famously created the cosmopolitan in 1987 and so the reason i started going along on the bar is because i um got a lot of thrown together with toby through work So, you know, we wanted to do a Quantro campaign, obviously, where we, it was going to be a road show, and we did, it it was so fun, with um, Alfred Quantro, sixth generation Quantro family member, kind of telling this brand story, and then Toby, as his, like, counterpart, giving, like, the trade application of it, and we traveled, like, all over the world, you know, together, telling these fun stories about those origin stories. And that's a whole nother episode that you've Mm -hmm. already done. But so we basically met through work. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and it just turns out that he's an amazing guy. And Mm -hmm. we became friends. And I was like, man, this bar is great, too. This is great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One more thing about that bar as well, too, is like, it is a very, it's a, a, a relatively long bar, too. I like sitting up there, it's the kind of place you go in on your own, you perch up, you're, you're bound to bump into some friendly people, and it's, yes. it's long, so you can get a lot of people sat at that bar too, which is important to me.
1: Yes, for sure. It's an athletic bar, and then Toby's a sports fan, and so am I, so um, so we always has good games on. There's like a second room, as you mentioned, the Lombardi room. Hmm. Um, And during the season, yeah, there's always like NBA basketball games that you want to be watching on, so nice. yeah, I can hunker down, have Check some dirty out. martinis, some fried <laughs> cheese curds, it's the best.
0: There you go. Last question here for you today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make?
1: That's an excellent question. I feel like I've been on this dirty martini kick for many moons and I don't want people thinking like, oh, we've been writing about how cool it is lately. Like y'all, I lived in Texas. Like no, I've been drinking dirty martinis for a while now. So like that's definitely up there. But the margarita was kind of the launching pad of my career but then like the queen's park swizzle is just so delectable i'm gonna go margarita i'm gonna go yeah. margarita yeah nice. i feel like it's given me a lot so mm. i appreciate it and it's a great drink and it's a great drink never Amazing. brought a style
0: <laughs> well emily thank you so much for joining us today it's been a blast Having you on the show. Yeah, this is
1: great. Thanks for having me. Hopefully Pam doesn't think I'm too much of a freak that I was talking about her back bar in her apartment. (laughs) I think many people can talk about (laughs) that.
0: It's it's very out there on the internet. I'm sure Pam has no qualms about that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's go make some white ladies. Okay, let's do it. Cheers. Bye. Okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is also published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits cocktail college is recorded and produced in new york city by myself and keith beavers vinepair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru of course i want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the vinepair team too many awesome people to mention they know who they are but i want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at vinepair for designing the awesome show logo and listen to that music that's a darby seaside original